reading from the book of John, chapter 9, verse 4. I'll be reading from the King James Version. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Just to catch those who may be visiting up to speed, we've been looking at uh, for this year so far, as you can see by the banners on the walls, at the, the theme of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I've been trying to present a lesson every first Sunday morning of the month along those lines that's um, basically a follow me series. And, and my challenge and my quest has been to look at Jesus through different windows of illustration and maybe to find out some, some things about him and to gain some insights about Jesus that we've never really thought about before. And I hope this morning is no exception, but that's what we're doing. And uh, so far we've talked about follow me, understand me, listen to me, crowd me. And this morning we began with this question, how do you handle interruptions? I mean, when something is going on that's relatively important, you've got some activity going, and all of a sudden there's, there's some interruption that is completely unplanned. Somebody interrupts your conversation, or the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning and interrupts your sleep. Or, or just as, as your carefully prepared plans are beginning to hit full stride, an unexpected problem comes along and, and changes everything, and all of a sudden you find yourself having to focus on the resolution to that problem. I remember when our kids were small, Back in the 1900s, it seemed like every time we planned on some vacation time or particularly planned a trip out of town uh, to take the kids for a little while on vacation, uh, the, the family bus, the family van would break down, uh, which not only, of course, depleted our financial resources, but it added stress to the one who was in charge of van maintenance And it oftentimes would throw our plans completely out of the window. Let's face it, we don't like interruptions. Whether it's phone calls, flat tires, slow traffic, or unplanned changes. We don't like the interruption. We don't like that intrusion into our lives. We don't like the surprises that comes with those interruptions. Because most of us like to do things on somewhat of a schedule. And interruptions will always throw that askew. But actually, we ought not to be surprised at our own impatience because impatience is something that time-conscious people all have to struggle with. If Americans are not the most time-conscious of all people, then why does American English have more references to the concept of time than any other spoken language currently in use? In business, we, we sometimes say time is money, and so we carry our cell phones and our daily planners. We attend time management seminars. We purchase phones and all kinds of other electronic devices that we can stay in constant contact with all of our appointments and all of our commitments. The very last thing that we either want or need are interruptions, and that's essentially because we consider our time to be such a valuable commodity. Now, a little research reveals right up front, very quickly, that interruptions are not a modern phenomenon. If you will be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. We're going to be looking at how Jesus handled interruptions. Busyness is not unique to our modern time. The people in Palestine in the biblical time were extremely busy people. Maybe, in fact, in some respects, they were even busier than we are. If you can imagine that kind of lifestyle. 
Because there are things that you and I have done for us or have machinery and tools to be able to do for us that they had to do themselves by hand or manually. In fact, one of the distinctive messages of this Gospel of Mark is the incredible pace of Jesus' lifestyle. I'm going to give you a few examples of that, and I hope that you will catch, even though you may not catch each word in each particular, that you will understand something about how busy Jesus was. Here's here's some highlights just from, from Mark's Gospel. In Mark chapter 1 verse 10 says, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the spirit descending. Notice the word immediately. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Chapter 1 verse 12. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Chapter 1 verse 18. Immediately he called them. Same chapter verse 20. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Chapter 1 23. Immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region around Galilee. Chapter 1 28. Immediately he left the synagogue, chapter 1, verse 29. Immediately they told him of her, and he came out and took her by the hand. That's chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. That's just chapter 1. Are you tired yet? I mean, everything that Jesus did, he did in a hurry. You get the idea. In fact, the word immediately, it has been pointed out, occurs 11 times in all the other combined gospel accounts. That is, in Matthew Luke and John, you'll find the word immediately 11 times. In the book of Mark, which happens to be the shortest of the gospel accounts, it appears 42 times. Mark wants us to get some idea of the pace of Jesus' life. He is telling us that Jesus was a busy, busy man. He was pressed by demands on his time and his schedule. Now, what I want us to do for the rest of the time is look very quickly, I promise, very quickly, at seven examples of where Jesus encountered an interruption. And I want us to see how he handled those interruptions. And, and, and we want to do this from, for more than just his historic value. We want to see how we need to handle interruptions in our lives. Jesus is the proper example in every facet of our lives. Don't miss that. That's why our quest and our challenge this year is to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because when we do that, the more we think about and study Jesus and the more we talk about him and think about him, hopefully the idea is the more we will become like him. If I understand what Christianity is all about, it's learning to be like Jesus. Is that right or wrong? I hope we understand that at some fundamental level. So let's look at these interruptions. And I'm just going to read the first one, just three verses. And then I'm going to give you the scriptural references for the other ones and, and allow you just to page through that and kind of follow. And we're going to give you the Reader's Digest version of each of these accounts for the sake of time this morning. But look at Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 37. Here, here Jesus is looking for some solitude. Mark's account says, Now in the morning, having re- risen a long time before daylight. That's a long time before daylight, it says. He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, you've made, like Jesus, you've made plans to be alone. You want to be free of some interruptions, mostly because you need some time to pray. I think that's pretty apparent from, from reading the text. And so you get up early in the morning, long before the time when anybody else ought to be up and, and should need you. And you not only find a time to pray... You also find the perfect place to pray. Mark's account says that Jesus found a solitary place. I'm quoting, a solitary place. Translated into modern language, that means a place 
where there are no cell phones. Go ahead and write that in the margin of your Bible if you want to. Where there will be no interruptions. Jesus can finally get a little bit of quiet time and he can pray and, and not be interrupted. And yet, here the interruption comes. Somewhere in the middle of your prayer, you feel the hand of interruption on your shoulder. You lift your head, you see your disciples, and they say to you, again, verse 37, everyone is looking for you. It's almost like they, they thought Jesus went into the witness protection program, you know, deliberately. That, that he didn't want anyone to ever contact him ever again. On the inside, maybe you're responding, I, I know they're looking for me, and that's why I got up early. I needed to be away from everybody. But your thoughts remain unvoiced. They stay buried on the inside. You feel them, but you don't say them. Here's story number two. Turn over one chapter, Mark chapter two. Let's look at verses one through 12. Here Jesus is teaching a lesson, and here is the synoptic form of that text. You're teaching in Capernaum. A large crowd has gathered to hear you. You have something important that you want to say to this group of people. I mean, it is of vital importance. It is spiritual in nature. And many of the people have traveled a long distance just to be there to hear what you're about to say. So clearly, you have everyone's attention. A captive audience. By the way, here's a, here's a quick personal illustration of that. Last Sunday, I don't remember if it was a.m. or p.m., while I was preaching, there was a small child who walked right through there as I was preaching. Now, she was locked in. She knew where she was going, but the problem was the rest of us did not know that she knew where she was going. And uh, I, I tried to keep on preaching, but I'm thinking, you know, we need to find this child's parents. <laughs> but she found them okay, and everything turned out well, and she went home with the right people. But here Jesus is... He's, he's locked into his message. He's t talking to these people about eternity. And just as you reach a turning point in your message, a loud, messy interruption occurs. If you're reading, looking through the text, the roof literally caves in on your head. And you realize that this isn't just happenstance. It's some guys up there who are digging through the roof. Now that also is a little more personal than you might think because all week long we've got, had guys who've been replacing the roof on this church building. Fortunately, they're not up there right now. I hope. Story number three. Look at chapter three, verses, just verses 20 and 21, trying to eat. It's been a very busy time for you. At this point, that comes as no surprise, looking at Jesus' schedule, his itinerary. Looking back, you remember the man whose hand was deformed. You felt his pain. That is, from the heart of Jesus, he experienced those feelings. Not long after that, a group of Pharisees come looking for a reason to accuse you. And their stubbornness greatly distresses you. And then there were the crowds. They were always there. They were always ready to ask questions. And in the middle of all that activity, you've been trying to find just some time to eat. Imagine that. Jesus is so in so much demand that just finding a time to, to, to eat uh, as something as absolutely necessary and fundamental as that, Jesus is, is trying to find time to eat. In the middle of all the activity, you say, if I could just grab a bite, but the interruptions just won't allow it. And finally, your family hears that you're not eating as you want to. And you know what happens when mama hears that her son is not eating as he should. And so they come and try to put a stop to that madness themselves. Here's story number four. 
still looking for some rest. This is chapter 4, 35 through 41. You've been so busy that you're completely exhausted. People are everywhere you turn, and so much has happened, and, and so many demands have been made upon you and upon your time and attention. In verse 35, it says, Standing by the lake, you tell your disciples, Let's go over to the other side. You do not have to have a degree in Bible to read into that what that implies. Maybe on the other side, it'll be quieter. Maybe there won't be so many people over there. And, and so we'll have a, a little alone time. And as you leave the crowd, the Bible says you, you collapse on the cushion in the boat as you're going to the other side and immediately fall asleep. That's how sleep-deprived Jesus was. In a boat on the Sea of Galilee, first thing he does is lay his head down, and he's gone. But just as you're beginning to kind of recharge your batteries and regain some much-needed strength and rest, the hand of interruption awakens you again. And as you open your eyes, look at verse 38. The first words you hear are, Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? Everything inside of you wants to scream, what, what do you mean, don't I care? What do you think I've been doing for the past week? I am caring for people literally all the time. But again, you control your emotions. You don't say what you feel. Instead, you deal with your fear. And you use that as an object lesson to teach them about faith. You go on with your life and your work and your ministry. That brings us to story number five. This is chapter five, verse 21 beginning down through verse 34, preparing to speak. You've just returned by boat from an exhausting encounter with a demoniac from the Gerasene region. Large crowd has once again gathered to hear you. It is a tremendous opportunity to be able to teach people about God. So Jesus recognizes immediately what a wonderful opportunity that is. But just as your foot touches the shoreline, your plans are, guess what, interrupted by another plea. Jairus, look at verse 23. Jairus, a, a synagogue leader, says, My little daughter is dying. Not sick, not ailing, not feeling well. No, she is dying. Please come. So you cancel your plans. You prepare to go with Jairus. But again, and I find this so ironic, just as you're leaving with this synagogue leader who is asked, Will you come and deal with my daughter who is dying? His interruption is interrupted by a desperate woman who is reaching out to you for help. So here we have, we have it all amped up. We have an interruption being interrupted. In the life and the daily work of Jesus. Story number six, making plans with friends. This is chapter six, verses 30 through 34. The crowds are continuing to grow. The word is spreading all over the country of Galilee about Jesus, about what he's teaching, about the miracles that he's performing. No one seems to understand that you are God, but you are God in the flesh. And you cannot or will not be in two places at one time. And so you plan some time to be alone with just the 12 apostles. But so many people recognize you, and their needs are so great and so pressing that you delay your plans to be just with the 12. You say that can hold till later, and instead you go with the interruption, and you feed and you teach the crowd. Story number seven, and finally, dying in agony. We're jumping to the end of Jesus' life. Chapter 15 Verses 29 through 32, will you look at those verses with me for a moment? You're dying. 
And words simply cannot express the pain that you're feeling. You've been scourged. You've had nails driven through your hands and through your feet. You have a, a, th- a crown of thorns placed on your head. Blood is running down your face from where those thorns have pierced your scalp. It's getting difficult to breathe because you're hanging on the cross in such an awkward position and you're losing blood fast. But even your pain is interrupted. First, there's the desperate plea of one of the thieves who's hanging next to you on one of the other crosses. And in spite of your own situation, in spite of your excruciating pain, you make the conscious decision to help this man. But then there are also the taunts that are coming from the people at the foot of the cross. Like verse 30, come down from the cross and save yourself, they said. And he saved others. He cannot save himself, verse 31. And even at the end of your life, notice that you have no time for yourself. I hope this is an insight into the life and the experiences of Jesus that maybe you've not thought about before, but if, if so, I hope that this will reaffirm some truths in your heart and mind. Notice what Jesus is doing. Maybe I should say notice what he is not doing. He's not dying comfortably at home in his bed, surrounded by his friends. I heard recently of a faithful gospel preacher who died some years ago, and I had heard this when he, when he passed, but... Somebody mentioned it a few years later, and I said, yeah, I think I, I remember hearing about it. But anyway, he, was, he died in the hospital, and uh, his family, about 30-something of his family members, stood around his bed, and they sang him to heaven. Isn't that a way to go for a child of God? Your last conscious thought is to hear someone singing Amazing Grace. Or this world is not my home. Or Christ we do all adore thee. But for the Son of God, there was none of that. No family members standing around a quiet bed. No hospice people taking care of your every need. Instead, you're made to die a criminal's death in what has to be called a public spectacle. No one is holding your hand. No one is whispering quiet words of affection. Even the process of dying is interrupted and debased by those scattered abuses and and insults. Now, here is the application for us. I promised you that this was not just going to be a history lesson. This should impact our lives. It ought to make a difference in the way we think and the way we handle interruptions. You see, these situations from the life of Jesus challenge every busy Christian today. If we will look at what he did and what he didn't do in the face of those interruptions, I think it will help us in our day-to-day life. I really do. How do we feel when somebody interrupts our speech, our meal, or even more important, maybe our sleep? How do we react if someone interrupted our worship service this morning? Right in the middle of service, someone broke in and they interrupted us, even if they left the roof intact, but still they interrupted us. How would you feel about that? These seven stories that we've just looked quickly at from the gospel accounts are are for every business executive who's pressured by deadlines. It's for students who are pressed by the demands of school and papers that are due and tests that they have to prepare for. Therefore, every parent who's caught between career and kids and all of us ought to consider these lessons from Jesus in the face of our own interruptions. Now, let me mention a few quick lessons and then we're through. Jesus faced two kinds of interruptions. 
First of all, those that were born of criticism, and secondly, those that were born of faith. Not all interruptions that that Jesus experienced were the same. You know that, I think, at some level. We know that Jesus was often interrupted by the critics, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes were the big three. They were all quick to interrupt him. In fact, if you read the, the, the gospel accounts, you probably know that Jesus could hardly ever get a sentence out without one of, that gr- of those in that group that would interrupt or ask questions or try to, to, to ask some loaded question that would get Jesus in trouble. But we also know that Jesus gave limited or sometimes no time to the critic who came to him with a trick or a trap or a loaded question. He just did not deal with that very much at all. And sometimes he did not even acknowledge them. But watch this, the woman who interrupted the interruption by Jairus that we talked about over in Mark chapter 5, verse 28, now that was a different kind of interruption. Now true, her touch was anonymous, and some would consider that to be the worst kind of interruption. But she wanted to just steal some help from Jesus. She was there because she legitimately needed some help. And when she was discovered, the Bible says that she fell at Jesus' feet in fear. That is not the demeanor of someone who has come to Jesus to ask him a question to try to trap him. She is interrupting, okay. But she's interrupting because she has faith that this man that she's interrupting can help her when no one else can. Now certainly her touch was an interruption of a sort. But it was an expectant interruption. Her suffering Uh, This may be coincidental. Her suffering was as old as Jairus' daughter. She had been suffering for 12 years. That's not 12 weeks, 12 days, or 12 months. This, This is 12 years. And yet, despite her pain, she still had hope that this Jesus man would be able to help her. Now, she was looking for something. And her impersonal interruption brought some personal attention from the Lord. Jesus says, hang on a minute. Let me put that situation on hold, and I'm going to deal with this right now. He saw in her interruption a struggling faith that he wanted to develop. And you'll not be able to ever recreate that scenario again. We're going to deal with it right now because she won't be here forever. He saw her not as an interruption, don't miss that, but as an interruption born by and created by her faith Jesus also looked past outward interruptions to inward motivations. That's a lot different sometimes than the way we experience and deal with interruptions with impatience. In in the story of the paralytic, for example, in Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, Jesus saw saw past that outward interruption of the four friends, and he was able to see their eagerness I mean, these men were absolutely determined to get their friend in the presence of Jesus, even if it means having to drill a hole in the roof. So that's what they did. And that's what Jesus saw. He didn't look up as they were knocking a hole in the roof to let their friend down and say, why can't I ever finish a sermon? What he saw were men that were determined to get some help for their friend who really needed help. He saw that courage that enabled them to do something as unconventional as digging through the roof. He saw a persistence that refused to be stopped by the murmuring of the crowd. And behind those characteristics, he saw faith breaking through the layers of roof decking and shingles. Verse 5 seems to indicate. And that kind of aggressive, almost pushy faith is the kind of faith that Jesus would later praise 
in some of his parables over in Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18, for example. Jesus says you need to pray, but you need to be persistent in asking God for what it is you need. And today, I'm just telling you, we have the same choice that Jesus had then. We can focus on the outside. We can focus on and only see the irritation that the interruption brings. Or we can look deeper and we can see eagerness and courage and persistence and faith on the part of the one who's doing the interrupting. Remember, if you forget everything else we said this morning, please remember this. Not all interruptions are created equal. And then finally, Jesus saw interruptions as opportunities. In Mark chapter 13, I want us to end with looking at what in my mind, in my judgment, is the greatest of all interruptions. In Mark 13, 32 through 35, Jesus describes the last interruption that mankind will ever experience. That event is sometimes called the second coming. Would you not consider that to be an interruption? In fact, in his teachings, Jesus once said that uh, when the Lord does come back, he has prefaced that, by the way, of saying, nobody knows when that hour will be. I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows when the second coming will be. But then he goes on to say some things about that means that you need to be ready for the Lord's second coming and for judgment day every moment of every day. Since you don't know when that's going to happen, you, 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 you stay ready to keep from having to get ready. You know what I'm talking about. And here's what he says. No one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house in charge of his servants, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Let me assure you of this in light of that scriptural reading. Our last interruption will come from the hand of Jehovah God himself. And when Jesus taught about his second coming, he even said, on that day, you will not wake up thinking, now, there's something different about this day. This is probably going to be the day when the Lord comes back. No, he said there will be no indicators. If you planned your wedding for that day, there will be absolutely no indication that you ought to change your plans. If you planned a funeral for that day, you'll go ahead and have the funeral. You just, you just don't know when the Lord's coming back. But this last interruption of our busy schedules will come from Jehovah God himself. And our readiness for that last interruption will depend on how we have handled all the other interruptions in our lives. Did we simply react with irritation when we were interrupted? Or did we take the time to look past the interruptions to the deeper motivations of the person who's doing the interrupting? Did we make it clear that we didn't want to be bothered? Or did we see and use that opportunity to serve others. Someone needs my help. Maybe I can serve them in this way. Were people more important to us than our time? Those are the questions I think that we have to ask in application of looking at this aspect of Jesus' life. And Jesus said in Mark chapter, let's stay with Mark, chapter 13, 36 and 37, if he comes suddenly, 
Do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. We sing a song sometimes that asks this lyrical question, are you ready for that day to come? And that's really the paramount question in life, isn't it? Not what you're going to have for lunch today. Not how work will go tomorrow, how fast the kids are growing, what, you know, what kind of clothes do I have to buy. No, none of the things that are the mundane things of life that are absolutely necessary. The question is, are you ready for that day to come? The Lord is coming back. And every one of us will give an account of ourselves before God, Romans 14, verse 12. If you're not a child of God this morning, you have absolutely no excuse, no good reason for not making this the day when you make that decision. I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm willing to confess that before anybody that's willing to listen. And I want to repent of my past sins, commit my life to living my life the way the Lord would have me to live it, and not by my own selfish desires and ambitions anymore. And I want the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away my sins in the waters of baptism. You leave this place as a brand new creature in Christ, and you're ready for that day to come while we stand and while we sing.